Hi, welcome back to the Cairo London Podcast. Craig McLean here again, your host. And this week I am interviewing Harry Rollins, who is a retired semi-pro rugby player, spent a bit of time with London Irish and Roslyn Park. And throughout his rugby career, as I think most pro rugby players get, he was faced with numerous injuries and challenges to his body, which kind of took him down the route of... Uh, learning some skills to not only be able to help himself through injury but also help others. So he trained initially as a Pilates instructor uh, and then more recently he's moved on to become a functional movement coach. Now basically throughout this whole process he also incorporated chiro treatment as a go-to for getting some deeper extra help to help him through um, different things that were going on with him but sort of uh, it was a really interesting chat to speak to someone who basically almost fulfills every category of someone that I get on this podcast he's a Cairo advocate he's a well soon to become not so local business person who is advocating movement rehabilitation and you know he runs a business now called H Space Movement um, so check out his website for some online content uh, so he is that and he's also you know like an, uh, an elite athlete so uh, it was great to almost combine all of the different things about this podcast into one person and so if you can make it all the way to the end um, I ask Harry what his favorite functional movement exercise is to give everyone and spoiler spoiler alert it's to do with the hips so roll your way all the way to the end to sort of hear his take on that so anyway hope you enjoy this chat with harry i've known him for a few years so uh it was pretty easy to have a conversation with him um and over to harry obviously this was recorded on instagram live so there'll be a few references to video um you can go to the cairo london uh, instagram page and watch it on IGTV as well thanks everyone Bye. there he is harry how are you doing? Good, good, man. Thank, good you man. For join- Thank you for joining us, man. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, nice to have a chat. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you done the old Insta Live before? You're a bit of a Insta influencer. I don't know about that. Um, I've done, I did a couple at this, actually, right at the start of, uh, of lockdown. Um, just purely because obviously there was this mad rush to get everything online. And I was like, right, I talked about doing more online stuff here for months. And I was like, suddenly, you know, uh, yeah, rushing to how to do an Instagram live. And I did one right at the start of lockdown. And uh, I think it was called Mobility in a Beer. So it was just basically on a Friday night. I was trying to get some people together who I thought might be drinking at that time and then see if they'll join me for some uh, mobility work as well. It was a yeah, reasonable success, but I wouldn't say I'm a, a natural at this, no. Laura, maybe, but not me. <laughs> no, it's, it's obviously something that evolved through lockdown, didn't it? Because uh, it seemed natural to sort of have a conversation on video as opposed to face-to-face. And then uh, I think people are doing it less and less now, but I've obviously been converting these chats into the podcast that we do as well. And it's sort of like a yeah. nice way to get the message out there. But um, I have been doing more and more chats with – well, you, you fit – really two or three different uh, categories of people I would like to chat to. You know, one, uh, you know, uh, ex-professional athlete. Uh, two, uh, like a, uh, you know, someone we work alongside of having shared clients um, before. Uh, and three, you're a, a client of ours, you know, and, and use our services as a chiropractor. So for those that don't know you, you're Harry Rowland, and tell us a little bit about your, well, your, your, your journey briefly, and then we'll go into each of those segments from the rugby to the Pilates to now functional movement, right? So give us a background yeah, of, of your rugby to start with. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I kind of went from school um, uh, into rugby and um, what's it? Someone, I was just a big kid, so kind of found rugby that way and then ended up uh, going to university, got picked up by London Irish at the time and then 
um, went into their academy there and played for a couple of years and then a few other clubs. Um, but in my time as a professional rugby player, which was about, I think spent about five, five, five years as a full-time pro was, um, just really littered with injuries and, um, and then progressed on to semi-professional rugby, um, for another kind of seven, eight years. Um, and whilst I was doing that, I was Pilates teacher. I was working in the fitness industry and had a backlog of injuries that I'm sure we'll go and talk about. And then um, my passion for movement and understanding how it works well with my body um, kind of led me into more movement coaching and this functional movement and functional range conditioning and becoming more of a movement and mobility coach. Um, just because I could see that I was a, kind of a bit of a product of being pretty broken and beaten up um, after quite an intense uh, career and uh, still wanting to be active, didn't want to kind of give up those things. So it's kind of my passion uh, and love for movement, but also my own kind of project for myself as well, which has kind of got me to where I am now. So let's pull apart that those rugby years then. So you um, you were like over a decade or so pro rugby level, right? Yeah, it was, it was kind of, I played the highest level of semi-pro rugby. So it's kind of always, when I, when I look at, when I look at what I was doing, even though I had a job on the side, I was very much of a, tried to be of a professional mindset. So yeah, kind of over, I'd say 12 or the 14 years was kind of give or take, pay to play and, and uh, seen as professional. Yeah. So talk to us about the, because I, I wanted just to go into that from a, you know, what sort of, I guess you had various levels of support throughout that career of <clears throat> medical support, physio, chiro, that sort of a thing. And there's always that expectation, I think, of like what you're prepared to put your body through versus what the management and the team want you to put your body through, right? Um, mm. So, you know, how did you rate the support that you had medically or rehab-wise as a player? Um, I think, again, the different levels that I played, there were um, varying levels and um, access for lots of treatments. So if I look at it when I was at a big club, um, one of the kind of bigger clubs I was at, and we, as a young player, um, I don't think I was of uh, peak interest at some times. Um, so if I was injured, you were kind of, you know, not palmed off, but you were kind of like, right, we'll just kind of get back out there and, you know, we'll see how we go. Um, I would say that I had a, I mean, I had a couple of big injuries early on in regards to a broken back and a neck operation by the, by the time I was kind of at London Irish and, you know, the treatment that I got there and I got to see specialists. So it was, it was really well kind of uh, structured and, and supported. Um, but obviously as you kind of, come out of that and you're, you know, you've got a smaller backroom staff um, or kind of semi-professional stuff. You've got an amazing uh, physio team, but there's, there's not as many of them. And they obviously have more players to cover and probably more players that aren't doing the right things outside of rugby. So they're, you know, whether their sleep or their nutrition or hydration isn't on point, they're naturally going to, not be as conditioned as maybe some other people. So they're kind of medical staff have to almost prioritize just trying to keep people fit and playing. Um, and there is always that pressure, like you just said about, you know, I think any, any rugby player, any sports person, um, in such is always going to push their body to the limit. Um, and you know, you're, you're always managing that. I look at it completely different now as a, as a little bit being a little bit older and, you know, at times I maybe should have taken my foot off the pedal and listened to my body a little bit more, but that's just the nature of the beast. You're always kind of, I think, especially with rugby, you're on that kind of uh, countdown timer, um, you know, and I realized at the age of like 22, as a young rugby player, I'd already had a few, far few knocks underneath my belt already and kind of, you know, being a bit beaten up already, I kind of knew that my countdown timer was maybe ticking a little bit faster than everyone else's. So, um, I don't know. I think I always yeah could have listened to medical staff a little bit more, had a little bit more help, but it was always very good, and there was a lot of services available for us. Really, I guess it's sort of just down to the luck of the draw as well, right? Because I can imagine at the highest level of the game, it just must be out of control, like the number of games that players are asked to play, and <laughs> just the chances like of you having a potentially career-ending injury is sort of relatively high, right? Um, and especially from what's asked of you if you're playing for England or at the sort of top pro level, hey? Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like a, it's high performance, high cost. 
you know, they're two backwards that are always going to run alongside each other. And, um, yeah, you know, rugby is, you know, it's not a healthy sport. Let's put it that way. You know, you're asking bone on bone, muscle on muscle to run into each other and people get bigger and stronger and faster and, you know, strength conditioning coaches and that kind of side of rugby is, has come on, you know, old, um, even since I retired. So you've got, you know, bigger athletes now, both male and female rugby players that are, you know, able to press more forced in collisions. And, you know, we're not made of anything differently. You know, we're all going to break and bruise and cut in the same way. So if there is a big uh, yeah, stress on medical staff. And like you mentioned, the kind of map games that the players are being exposed to, I mean, something's got to give sooner or later. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit of an issue, I think. And there is a sort of limitation of matter, isn't there? There's, you know, you have the best medical support that sort of is, is available and, and yet, you know, there's only so much the body can tolerate if you have fractured a vertebra or something, um, <laughs> you know, you can get the best care. But So obviously that led you, though, um, because at what time did you start the study of Pilates then? So it was kind of a funny one really for me. So when I... I was forced out of uh, one club, which I thought I was going to go to another professional as I carry on with my professional career. And then I went back to Roslyn Park, which is my junior club. So I went back there and they were semi-professional. So I um, I was kind of working out what I wanted to do. And uh, a client of yours as well, who is, uh, works for the PRA, and he, um, when I was at London Irish, I was under the PRA, and they helped me get my personal training qualification at the time. And a few boys were doing that. And then as I came out and I was had a bit more time on my hand, I'm still playing rugby, picking up these little injuries and niggles. I kind of was doing personal training. I just felt that, you know, there was, you know, 30 other Harrys out there doing the same thing, playing kind of sport, whether it be football, whatever, on the side and doing kind of personal training, getting people fit, weight loss, all the same stuff. And I, I just thought, well, what's kind of been different for me? Would I want to do that, you know, with my body and, and I kind of answered my own questions. So someone came forward and said, oh, would you fancy talking, teaching Pilates? And until that time, I'd only ever heard Pilates being said that you need to be doing it because you've had back injuries. Um, and I was like, well, why do they want, you know, this stiff, battered and bruised rugby player to turn up and teach Pilates? And it was on, on a reformer. Um, and eventually I just gave it a bit of a shot. I was like, well, I can't, you know, turn down work at the time. I was kind of a young bloke, moved back home and stuff like that. And then, um, just really loved it it was an expression of movement um i wasn't officially trained by one of the by, by one of the kind of pilates um, like polestar or stoff or anything else like that the, the company that I was working for at the time were very much just about kind of put your own signature on what you're doing and you know i soon realized that you know all the experience that i had on movement and expressing movement it was just a bit of kit that i was teaching on and i was taking the best out of pilates doing my own study and then kind of collaborating that with movement and strength and kind of positions that I feel that I was tight in that I knew that most other people would be restricted in. So it kind of married itself up that I've kind of discovered this own method underneath the Pilates umbrella and obviously had access to a lot of people that wanted to move better or kind of get out of injury or restriction. And so was that Pete up at My Pilates that you started with or you that was later on? It was no. It was um, a company called Bootcamp Pilates. Who, uh, you know, they um, they had a mixed uh, feeling of kind of where they kind of stand in the industry because they're, you know, they want to be quite um, popular uh, with in regards to their kind of hip training and strength, make it all flashy like that, and they want to still be Pilates. So they're a bit kind of a diluting their approach. But I kind of started my journey with them and then found Pete through Lululemon and, and my Pilates. And he was, I mean, he's been such a amazing mentor to me because, you know, he was someone who was a little bit older than I am, but had had this kind of uh, sport background um, in bobsleigh rugby. And, you know, was just really, um, just really kind of giving in his experience and how he found Pilates and how it benefited him. And we, we were both kind of trying to fight the same fight of getting more guys into doing something that we knew would have a huge benefit for their movement, their body, their mental health. Um, it ticks so many boxes, but we also realized the stigma attached to Pilates and how probably, you know, 90% of people doing it at that time were, were still women. And, uh, you know, 
were kind of oh you know it's a it's a housewife's kind of form of exercise which it definitely isn't and it's um so pete was great we kind of married up a really good relationship and uh we did some good work over the years actually and kind of definitely changed a few people's opinions on, on what pilates is or what it could be yeah that's no, great i know um you guys are sort of forging through the stereotype weren't you, you know so uh, yeah good to see. um so look then go from there into your own personal you obviously used it and saw some benefit in your own rehabilitation and 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 because i think it wasn't there a time i think i remember meeting you for the first time maybe when you came back to rosalind park uh and mm. then you were doing the semi-pro role there and then but I think some of these injuries were really starting to take toll and the knee was blown out quite a bit and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But was it around then that you got on the Cairo table a little bit more often or was, had you always yeah. been on and off? Well? I, th- I think I think it was actually. So kind of going back to the time of my rugby, whilst I was teaching Pilates and playing some professional rugby, unless it was a big trauma, so it was kind of a bone-on-bone collision or, you know, something which couldn't have been helped, I was – I was barely ever injured. So that was the biggest mainstay to me. That was like, I was, I wasn't doing as much lifting maybe as some of the other boys or just, you know, doing kind of static closed chain exercises like deadlifts and squats. I was trying to move my body in different directions, teaching on the reformer, just being a bit more movement based and a bit more functional in my movement. And I was never injured. It was only when I actually then injured my knee. I had a big, again, a bit of a freak accident in a training session. I had, ruptured my ACL, MCL and a double meniscus in one movement. Um, and up to then I'd had, you know, three, uh, two broken backs, a neck operation, multiple different things. But ultimately I had very much, I kind of managed my control with them. As soon as I did my knee, things just started to up the chain and down the chain started to go wrong. And I was doing some great work with Pippa, my physio there. And I just felt like I needed just a, maybe a little bit of a different focus. And that's when I found, found you guys and, um, yeah, kind of built that relationship up with you guys and it massively helped me because it just made me feel I was getting a little bit of a different focus on treatment. It was definitely making and relieving the kind of stiffness in my knee, which I was struggling with for quite a long time and that was having a knock-on effect, as I said, up and down. And so that was kind of around the first sort of time and I knew then I was having to deal with <laughs> having to deal with more than just my previous injuries. This knee injury was definitely a different cut of fish. So that's why when you guys really came in and, and kind of helped me out with that, really. So it's interesting you talk about it. So the, the benefits were a lot to do with it because we quite often get people coming in saying, look, you know, can you help with knee pain? Aren't you guys the back doctors? You know what I mean? Um, mm. But that, that knock-on effect above and below the knee is massive, isn't it? You know, uh, and until yeah. you get the sort of the – especially if you've had a bit of a niggling thing for ages, there's such an imbalance that can be almost laid down permanently in the system. Um, and But, you know, that's where – we obviously can help almost from the top down, but it's 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 then the ground up where things like the functional rehabilitation and stuff like that um, comes into it, and that's yeah. that sounds like the sort of the journey that you kind of were taking as well is that you could see help from Cairo, but then you wanted to sort of evolve further what you needed to do, especially yeah. once you stopped playing rugby, right? There, right? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's how you got into the sort of functional movement stuff. Yeah, so it was kind of, um, you know, my knee was always something that was still giving me some jip. And I was like, right, well, I can't rely on, you know, Cairo's physios, you know, even the Pilates. It was, it, it, you know, everyone was helping me and putting me in the best position. But I, you know, I always say this to my own clients, you know, I'm the owner of my own vehicle. I'm the driver. I've got to kind of be able to take things on after being put in the best, best situation. So I kind of uh, did some research and, I was like, right, well, the first thing I need to really work on is my is my mobility. I still had quite a lot of stiffness after my back injuries around my lower back. I didn't have pain, so to speak, but I definitely realized I was someone who had quite tight hips. And um, I started to kind of work with a few different protocols. Um, there was one GMB, which was very more animal-based animal movements, so primal movement patterns, which I, I absolutely loved. I threw myself into that and wasn't teaching it really with anyone, but trying to consume it, consume it myself and um, saw some really good results of that. And I thought, well, hang on, I can delve, dive in a little bit deeper and then started to educate myself around the functional range conditioning, um, which is the mobility aspect. And I've done a few of their courses. I've done the kin stretch and the functional range conditioning. And 
realistically, that was the biggest game changer for me in regards to understanding the simplicity um, of joint health and how joint health is realistically the, the, the game changer in my eyes now of how I can maintain my health and longevity and, and maintain an active lifestyle. And everything that I've kind of learned from there has, has made so much more sense um, in regards to my injuries. You know, I'm not saying they would have been, um, they wouldn't have happened, but my um, follow-up treatment and my relationship with the injury would have been very different um, post or immediately post. So it's kind of, yeah, it does feel like it's very much been a segue and kind of every helping hand I've had has kind of directed me and kind of opened kind of the door ajar for me to kind of pop my head through and look in a little bit more and think, oh, actually, well, there's a little bit more investigating to be in there. And I always say with, with anyone is like, and when people go, oh, what would you have done differently if you'd have been a player back now and with my head on, I was like, I would have been more curious. I'd have investigated things and I would have, you know, taken more ownership to go, well, hang on, that doesn't sound right to me. I'm going to investigate this a little bit more. And um, that is very much where I am now. I, I kind of do the functional range condition. I, I, you know, my passion really is the mobility and I've seen such an, uh, an amazing positive effect in my own body um, that I know even if people weren't going to dive in as deep as it, as deep as I am with it, that there would be huge um, positive ramifications for their, for those individuals if they just looked at things a little bit differently and actually did the simplistic, consistent things which should bring about their biggest rewards. So it has um, made it far easier, an uh, easier landscape to kind of navigate through and to direct people through as well. So that's kind of where the functional movement stuff come in. Cool. So I was looking forward to having a chat to you because, to be honest, I don't know a massive amount of the functional movement world, right, um, yeah. where it sort of originated from... And even, so can you go back over, who did you do those training courses with? What's the name of the group or the body? So it's, um, the body is functional range systems and it was uh, kind of designed by a bunch of doctors. The main guy was Dr. Andre Spina in Canada. And he spent over 10 years working on joint health um, and uses science-backed methods of how mobility training and how inputs into the deepest layer of a joint can promote health and longevity. Um, you know, the, the way they teach it is quite direct. Um, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but, you know, and they, and they don't, they don't, it's weird. Like a lot of people are quite resistant to it. Cause they, they, they say that, Oh, Andre Spina says that yoga or Pilates is bad. He's not saying that he's just saying, make sure you have the prerequisites before you put your body through something and make sure you have as much control of your own body before you, you know, put it through the demand. Um, and, Ultimately, that means that a lot of people that might be doing things, whether it's CrossFit or, you know, other forms of exercise, running is another one, and they keep getting injured. And they, you know, they're blaming their shoes or they're blaming this or they're blaming that. Maybe they just got to look a little bit more internally and say, well, hang on, how are my knees as good as my knees could be, or are my hips moving as well as my hips could be? So it's very much on that essence is the functional range uh, conditioning and, and systems from that approach, um, and it's in a nutshell talking about. Um, we all have flexibility, understanding the difference between flexibility and mobility. So we all have a degree of flexibility, but you don't ultimately own your flexibility. So if I stood there with you, Craig, and I, you know, pulled your leg up in front of you and I was holding your leg, you know, I could take it maybe so high. I don't know with those hamstrings. I'm not sure how, how flexible they are at the moment, but, you know, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> you get that maybe so high and then that would be your flexibility because there's an external load of my arm lifting your leg up. But then if I was to take that arm away and that assistance up, how much of that range would you be able to control? You know, if I was holding your leg up and I let it go and it dropped down there, then you have this whole gray area of space, which kind of, you know that your joint can potentially take you there, but you don't have any strength or control there. So that, you know, in itself is saying when you're expressing movement in your sport and your activity in your daily life, and you don't, have any control of those end range, you're opening yourself up to injury. So that is kind of where we're trying to get with people. Um, it's just to kind of control their body a little bit more and have feeling and have um, a sense of communication with it, really. So is, is that basically what you, uh, were, you know, you're talking about the, the FRS's interpretation of what joint health should be? Is that around 
flexibility versus mobility, or does it go even deeper than that? I mean, it does go far deeper. I mean, they, they, I mean, I'm kind of at the top layer of it, really, in regards to understanding. They do uh, functional range uh, release, so that's more for hands-on treatment. So a chiropractor could go and do that stuff where they're working in deeper layers. But in the essence of trying to understand what they're trying to do, it is very much against active and passive. You know, that functional range is basically what we're trying to do is improve our functional range of a joint and be less kind of unaware of what our body can do and basically build into that control if that answers your question. Not sure yeah. I'm not no, because the, you know, the one thing a chiropractor said to me years ago was that, you know, part of our role to sort of try and encourage people to be healthy from their body and their spine is that, you know, whether you're a chiropractor or not, every, this statement, which is, on a daily basis, every joint in your body should be taking, taken through its full range of motion, right? Mm. And you just kind of think about all the, especially maybe now when we're all working from home and all that sort of stuff, like the, the number of people that would be taking their entire body, every joint within their entire body full through that full range of motion uh, is probably pretty low. Um, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is then obviously yeah. leads to tightness and restriction and pain and inflammation and poor posture and all that sort yeah. of stuff, right? Um, and yeah. so, you know, even people coming into the chiropractor, they, a lot of people use us as a tool to not have to do that themselves. Uh, you know, almost like, here's my body. I haven't been looking after it very well. Can you recondition it for me and hand it back to me mm -hmm. at the end of the session? You know? Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and, yeah, look, obviously people go that far down that rabbit hole that they need help to get out of there. But then it's a case of, like, you know, maybe you don't want to be going to the chiropractor two or three times a week for the rest of your life, right? So um, yeah. that's, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you anyway is just to explore another avenue. I've had a chat to a yoga uh, guy in Putney, Jason. He was great. Um, had a chat to um, Luke over in uh, Pilates, uh, Absolute Pilates, and and this is almost like a an expansion from there. You know, in fact, we've actually got a chiropractor, chiropractic student who's just started year one chiropractic, but he's also massively into this functional movement um, and is quite a skilled, basically gymnast. Um, but he's looking forward to sort of practicing chiropractic and functional, yeah, yeah, together. You know. Um, but anyway, I digressed. Um, I, I think I think on your point though that you know the other disciplines like we mentioned about Pilates and, and yoga, you know they are they have their own benefits in their training. But sometimes it's like anything we can get carried away with an expression of movement. You know, so performing a sequence of exercises and expressing this kind of flow, if if you will. Whereas with um, with the F FRS and the kind of functional range conditioning, it's trying to tailor into actually movement is control at its slowest pace. So the whole thing with functional range conditioning, why it's so impressive and the cars routine about the kind of taking the joints through the biggest range of motion is that it has its own self-assessment tool built in. So you could be the most least flexible person. You could be the most uber flexible yogi kind of teacher, but you're all going to kind of see compensations in your body that will dictate to you, where you need to work on or where you need to build more control. So it's, that's, I think where we get a lot, get a lot of uh, maybe kickback from some of the other disciplines. Cause it's like, well, you're telling, you're telling us to just do joint mobility and that yoga and Pilates or this or that aren't good for you. And we're like, no, actually it's, it's actually, this is something that should run alongside it because this is just you trying to control your movement patterns from within your love of what you're doing, whether that be yoga, Pilates, CrossFit, running or whatever else. Okay. So who, who can do the F, FRS training? Is it sort of, uh, I guess there's an in-depth medical group of people doing it, but there's personal yeah. trainers, there's, there's anyone, it's, right? Uh, oh, it's, it's really interesting. So a kind of a bit of a story around this as well. Um, so when I did my functional range conditioning course, there were 70 people in the room, which is obviously a massive number, um, but they're so popular. They only do one a year. They come over, or at the time they were doing one a year. And they were a mixture. You had consultants, you had physios, chiros, dancers, had a lot of um, different, which was really exciting, different um, rugby team strength conditions and physios were there as well, which is great. Some football clubs, uh, I think Man City physio was there. 
but just complete broad spectrum. Now, everyone was there for their, you know, kind of own reason, whether it be coaching, but there are also a lot of people there who are just trying to learn something for their own bodies because, again, it comes around to this. We are all, all a little bit more broken than we give ourselves credit for, and we all could do so much more for our bodies to actually make ourselves feel a little, little bit better. I always call this kind of this term physical freedom of, like, actually, you know, how free are you within your body? You might be feeling good. You might be thinking, yeah, I feel great. But there's always a little bit more that you could be doing. There's always something in your body that you could kind of control or move a bit better, which will relieve tension upstream or downstream in your body. So there are a lot of people that I think, and I would encourage as much as you can, is to learn about this stuff because you can take it away and you can work on it yourself. And we, I had this with an individual client who was someone who was, She'd been told by two um, surgeons that she needed a hip replacement. She was in her mid-40s, very active, did cycling, rowing. Um, and we were working together doing the function range conditioning and with another um, member of the FRS community as well. And we were working with her. And then after a few months, she created enough rotation in her hip, enough better control within her body, pain up and down above her, above and below her hip taken away. The next uh, consultant she saw said, no, you don't need to be operating in with the next six months. And that's almost 18 months ago now. And she's, she's now even changed her job. She now teaches FRC. She was an accountant beforehand because she's seen the power of how that has changed mm -hmm. her life and how she can afflict that on other people as well. So it's, it, again, like you can dive in as deep as you want to. Someone yourself with your knowledge, you know, you can go into it and you can take so much out of it. But for some people that just want to learn to move a little bit better and to kind of have that routine or a bit of a, an extra few tools in their toolbox, then it, it's it's just a great resource to use, really. Yeah, cool. No, you're right, because it's, I think as as chiropractor, you've got to kind of like choose your path, really, you know what I mean, and what really sort of floats your own boat. And um, I think within within our chiro specialty, that's why we like to forge relationships with people like yourself is because, yeah, our expertise is working out, you know, where a problem is of a spine that's been building up for decades uh, and then sort of working with someone to sort of help that improve in function and to help neurologically the, the body work better, right? However... You know, when you're helping a lot of people do that, um, there's a limited amount of time you can spend on the the functional rehabilitation side of things, um, which is why years ago I put together these very basic movement videos, you know, which still <laughs> I still hand out today, but I'm sure they're rubbish uh, compared to some no. of the stuff you're doing. But, you know, it's, it's like it's anything that if you can just encourage some of those people to actually sort of just do a basic routine, um, five yeah. minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes at home, uh, it's way better than nothing, you know. Um, yeah. So, but look, um, maybe we should just segue that into um, a couple of things to show some people because I was going to ask you, uh, you know, I, I think I was involved in coining the phrase posture pandemic the other day, uh, although <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It came out from that Telegraph article, although I did search hashtag posture pandemic and it turns out I think someone else did use it before me, so oh, maybe no. I can't claim it, you know. Picture of the post. But I think, anyway. you know, when we're, talk when we're, when we're talking about posture as well, and I think, I think we're, you know, I'd imagine you have so many people that come in and they almost answer you firsthand. They're like, oh, my posture's really bad. And it, it, one thing that I'm learning, there, there isn't a perfect posture. You know, uh, the perfect posture is a moving posture. We're designed to move. And, you know, from that young age, you know, my daughter's uh, 10 months, she's constantly moving, constantly, constantly expressing her movement through whatever it might be. And I think as we, you know, age, we go to school and we start to sit down in a rigid chair at the age of four and we've got, you know, thick sole shoes on, we start to lose that ability to express our movement and feel. Mm. Whereas, you know, you never look at a young child, you know, at the age of three, two, three, and think of their posture in a way, but we only look at it as an adult because we adapt to the position that we spend most of our time in. So if we're in a position for too long, then obviously we, that becomes our norm. So, rather than people kind of saying, oh, well, this perfect posture is this kind of old-fashioned kind of, you know, pump your chest up and, you know, push your pecs out and everything else like that, that isn't always the best thing to be. So it's this kind of moving posture and not having a perfect posture, I think could, could debunk a lot of people into striving for something which isn't sometimes always there because you could get someone who can display a beautiful upright position, but they might still be having 
the same pain because they're just not protecting themselves from sitting maybe in that same position for too long or, or, or whatever else. And it's kind of when you go on about the videos as well, I've just launched a, a, it's called the honest mobility membership. So it's a, it's a platform that has videos for every different part of the body that people can work in and work around lots of tips of how you use it and kind of building positive habits and things like that as well. Um, and again, it's, you know, some people, if you've got your own training regime, you're going to be able to dive into that and take as much as you need out of it. But some other people obviously need more help. And that's when working with a Cairo or working with, you know, physio or whoever it might be can really assist you in the right direction. You say to someone, look, your hips aren't moving the way they need to, then people could then go and have a bit of a roadmap of going, right, I need to work on my hips. Whereas again, I think, you know, not knowing where you're going can you can look at stuff and you can be, Oh my God, I don't, you know, there's so many things to do. I don't have the time in the day to, to do them. So I think it's having the help of a professional in some capacity and showing them where they can invest their most time to bring about the most reward is, is so important. So. No, you, I mean, you're talking about posture as well, but you mentioned that hip lady before. We see a lot of people who are sort of like anywhere from 35 upwards and they sort of come in with hip pain and maybe restricted movement, and then we take an X-ray of that hip, and you can kind of see a subtle variation in what that hip is looking like compared to the other side. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there is it's really good to get that direction to be able to go. Okay, well, look, you know, I can see the writing on the wall for you. Twenty years from now, you're going to have a new hip, yeah. unless you intervene that somehow. You know, um, yeah. And that's normally motivating for someone. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Uh, you know, so it, it, I was going to ask you about your, um, yeah, so you've called it Honest Mobility Membership. Yeah, yeah. Is, the is, it, is, a, is it up and running? <laughs> it is, yeah. It's, it's very, so I'd launched it to my um, email list. Uh, I was tweaking a few bits and pieces and then I suddenly realized I was chatting to you today. I was like, it was a great time to, to plug it. It is up and running. I put a link in my bio on my um, on my uh, Space Movement page. But, yeah, it's kind of something um, – that I kind of been wanting to do for a while. And there's a lot of people in my field that are doing this as well. You know, there's some really great coaches doing similar things as well. I just kind of teach it, you know, in my language, like, you know, I'm not someone who's super bendy. I'm not someone who's, you know, had a history of beautiful movement and coming from the ballet or anything else like that. I, I talk about it quite honestly. Um, and I bring my own kind of line of humor and kind of London slang, I suppose, into it and terrible dad jokes and whatever it might be. But it's, um, yeah, it's, the honest, the honest, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The honest word is, is so important for me because I, I've taught, you know, I don't know how many classes I've taught over the last 10 years, but this honesty and, you know, not letting your ego get the better of you and kind of not doing something that you can't quite do, but because, you know, so-and-so is doing it across the room or you want to be competitive with them. That, that gets us into trouble and mobility training isn't competitive against anyone else. It's just about you. It's just about your joint. You can't move where you can't move. You mm -hmm. only can control what you can control. So this kind of honest approach is just really important. So it kind of gives this, you know, there's so much more that's going to be added to it, but it gives this kind of nice base of like, look, this is where you are. This kind of accept, invest, improve, inspire model that I try and use with a lot of people. And it's just like, accept where you are invest in improving it once you get down the line you could be two months down the line and be a completely different person and then you've inspired you know your mum or dad or your brother or your best mate to go actually i could do that you know and it's something so simplistic so that honest word is so important so hate space movement people go oh you know it's a bit a bit you know egotistical uh naming it harry and i was like it isn't it's the honest space but I just kind of leave that out there just to, you know, yeah, drive can, off a little bit of conversation, you know, with <laughs> the appetite. <laughs> people can interpret the H to be whatever they want, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but that's, uh, I can imagine to a degree, the old lockdown restricted movement of people has helped push you in that direction and probably helped you with setting that up, which hopefully it's yeah. even makes it more successful. Right. Um, combined yeah. with the fact that you're in the middle of moving house, right? Yeah. That's uh, been a little, <laughs> so, well, yeah, we're moving house, we're actually moving out of our house on Friday. Um, and then the place that we're meant to be moving to, I've had a few issues, so we're we're. I might be calling up uh, calling up the brothers to try and get in there, but um, yeah, it's all going on at the moment. I mean, currently where I am at the moment is where I taught for the last 
six, seven moments in the living room. Um, so every time when I'm teaching throughout the day and I have to ask Laura and Ottilie to go into the other room because uh, they're making too much noise, you can obviously understand the tension that can build. But um, it's <laughs> like you said, I think this lockdown period has been, um, it's been, I think, really good for, for, for the people that are in my field that are trying to teach people to move and uh, move better and feel a little bit better because before most people, if you're active and that you want to go out and you want to be on your bike or you want to be you know, out of the gym, you wouldn't prioritize this stuff. Whereas all of this stuff, you don't really need any equipment. You know, mm. I use, instead of a tennis ball, I said, if you've got an apple, use an apple. If you haven't got a yoga block, mm. you use a cyclopedia or your cushion. So mm-hmm. people have been able to access it a little bit more. And as well, I just think people have kind of started to realize that they don't need to feel the way they they are, you know, it's, and catching this kind of same endorphin feeling of, of a hard workout and trying to package it into actually realizing that, you know, even after 20 minutes of moving better and tuning into your body, you can feel as good as, you know, coming out of a hard workout but without the kind of taxing effect. So it's like, I always try and say to people, it's like your training sessions should give you more than it takes from you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's always going to happen, but for the majority, if someone's training five times a week, for me, it's about being smart. You know, one or two of those sessions, you can go hell to the level, but the other three, you should be going, right, I'm going to manage myself. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make sure I'm moving well. And, you know, I'm understanding things from my body. And then you can kind of, then you can earn the right to go there. But that empowerment of being able to help yourself through the lockdown, I think has really been positive for people and building a community with my guys as well has been really special. So I really appreciate yeah. the support that I've had from those guys. So can you give us a bit of a run-through of a routine or just a simple movement that you think is really good for encouraging uh, improvements in posture no matter where it's at? Yeah, so I think the first thing is um, when I'm talking to a lot of people, they're going, look, I'm on Zoom calls the whole time. Um, And I just always ask the question, I was like, right, can you engineer your environment any differently? So do you have to be sat in a chair? And people go, well, probably not. I was like, right, great. That's the first thing. I was like, are there times when you can turn your screen off, you know, for two minutes or whatever it might be? And they were like, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, there, you've given yourself windows to make an improvement already. So for a lot of people, floor sitting can be one of the biggest kind of uh, instant changes that they can kind of make. So like, for example, I've sat the whole time talking to you because I know just sitting down, I get I just, my back kind of gets irritable. I just I just don't like sitting in a chair. So I normally sit on a couple of yoga blocks just down on the floor or on the floor myself. So I can't actually see myself at the bottom of the screen. So just tell me if I go out of screen. Great, yeah. if you can. I want yeah. you to be uh, my my movement director. You're good. I mean good. So yeah. there are obviously so many different ways that we can sit on the floor and um whether it be cross-legged, whether it be legs out straight or whatever it will be. But a really popular moment, and it's kind of unfortunately become the fashionable movement of a fashionable movement of mobility training is the 90-90. So basically what that is, it puts your front leg in a 90-degree position and your back leg in a 90-degree position. Now, automatic this movement is so effective because what you're doing is basically you're putting this hip into external rotation. So if we think about like a pigeon stretch or something like that. Yeah. So you've got external rotation in this one. And the important one, which most people lack, is the internal rotation of this hip. So automatically, the floor is holding my legs in this position. My body weight's above it. For some people, they're going to be able to sit up quite straight and comfortable. But for the majority, they're going to get this kind of blocking in their hip here. So even if I was on a Zoom call or sat there, you can just drop your arm out to the side. You open out the angle of that joint. And you've still got the benefit of the internal rotation. Now, if I'm in this position for a couple of minutes, I could be doing what I need to be doing. I always say, you know, if you're watching TV in the evening, you've got a choice. You can go and sit on the sofa or you can sit down and do this for a few minutes and give your hips what they want to do. But what you'll find with any floor sitting position is that you won't sit still. You'll keep moving. So automatically, even if I was here, I'd start to move my hands around. I'd start to maybe move front leg. I'd start to twist you will naturally move yourself around. So then I'd maybe go onto my other side. I'd find where's most comfortable. I'd start to move around my body. I'd then maybe go and put one leg out. 
you'll just constantly keep moving because you haven't got the luxury of a, of a lovely kind of velvet sofa that you're kind of sinking into and everything has to relax. So that would be my best and easiest tip for advice would be mm. just take it to the floor. Just bring yourself down, set up your environment, put your laptop on a chair in front of you so it's of the same height as your head. Just spend some time on the floor. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, uh, hours on end, but spend the majority of the time because a really um, interesting thing that I, I, I kind of heard it on a podcast and it just really resonated with me was that you'll hear people go, oh, you know, if I ask them, how many, how many hours have you sat during a day? And they'll say, oh, about four hours. And they say that you can automatically double that for someone because we, we're never honest with ourselves about how long we actually do something. It's like, how many, how many cakes do you have? You know, like you say, uh, two, where realistically, I, you know, I still eat about eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bowl, yeah. And then um, what, we're, what we're actually doing is that someone go, well, I, you know, I sat down for an hour, but it's okay. At the, at the stroke of, you know, quarter past the hour, I get up for two minutes and I have a walk around the office office like, like that we're going to go and you know give them a gold medal for doing it. But actually how messed up is this is that we're using kind of movement as the treat, as the kind of relief and the, and the sitting is the kind of work. Whereas yeah. it, it should be the other way around. Yeah. You should be moving for that <laughs> minutes and sitting for two minutes. And I know not, you know, I'm not, I'm not being, uh, you know, uh, unsympathetic or um, having no empathy for people's situation at home. And I can't, it must be very tough for people. But again, there is always some positive effect and change that you can do that is so simple and it's underneath your nose that you can make mm. a positive, positive effect, really. Yeah. You know what's great about that is the fact that, um, you know, the more common thing that um, you'd almost expect people to be asked to do when they're working from home is, uh, go and invest in a sit-stand desk or get yourself up sort yeah. of high and then spend your day standing, right? But maybe effectively standing can create more posture challenges than sitting in some ways, you know, or, or well, certainly compared to what you've just described there where if you're actually on the ground challenging, because standing doesn't challenge any range of motion at all, right? Uh, right. I mean, it's better than sitting because it doesn't have that hip at 90 degrees all the time, but... Yeah. It's, it certainly puts other stresses on the body as well. And so that idea of just rolling around the floor and bringing everything down a, a level as opposed to up a level is really yeah. interesting. So nice. I th- and I think, I think it comes into exactly that point that you said with standing. Any, any position is going to be bad if you're in it for a constant time. So even that 90-90, if I'm in mm. the 90-90 for 10 minutes without movement, that's not going to be healthy for my joint. It's So it's mm. the, the standing decks, I think, are a great step forwards, but exactly like you said, if you're standing still, but you know, not moving your feet out of the position, then it's not a good thing. If you can stand up at a desk and you can move around and you can, you know, sway, stand on one leg, move your hips, twist your feet, you know, then again, you're engineering your current environment to be better for you. So, but I definitely think the floor sitting is one that we, the day is a series of choices, isn't it? You know, and, mm. People just don't, unfortunately, like being told that. And it's, it's it's quite a tough conversation. But, you know, it's like building a morning routine, which, again, I've got a link for that on the bio. If anyone wants a free morning routine, you can they find it there. But, you know, I say spend 10 minutes. And the amount of people that say, I haven't got 10 minutes in the morning. I was like, I guarantee you, you yeah. faff and maybe scroll on your emails or Instagram for 10 minutes, you know, every morning. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's it's like the old net. Whenever Netflix goes on, you're on the floor doing 1990, right? That's sort of Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, exactly. So good. You've got, to hide the, you've got to hide the remote under the sofa, so then it's <laughs> to go and find yeah, it. to ninety ninety and and, uh, and get it. Yeah, that's the way you're going to do it. <laughs> Very good. But look, um, I think we should probably draw a line on it. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Um, go over the. Um, what's your Insta tag again? So my Insta movement, uh, Insta uh, handle is H space. That's S P A C E movement. Um, and then on there, I'm hspacemovement.com as well. But on the Instagram page, if you're kind of on it from here, you can kind of, if you go into the link tree bio, I've got all my cl- live online classes that I run throughout the week online. And I've got the Honest Mobility Membership, which is something new I've just launched. And there's also sign up for my email list and you'll get a free cards routine and some videos on how to build better habits and things like that. Nice so, one. Well, well, very good luck with the move, mate. And um, thanks, buddy.
Yeah, we should explore or encourage certainly anyone to watch this or who is listening into this podcast to look into that um, website. Hey, because I mean, it's, it's now because it's all virtual, you can just literally do it. Um, you don't, because you're moving yeah. up to Suffolk, right? Suffolk, yeah, out that way. So it's going to be, um, I'll be yeah. back in London, I think, once a month. But yeah, I think most of it's yeah. going to be a lot of online stuff. So yeah. Yeah, well, well done for taking the plunge, mate, because uh, it's, it's obviously you've had a major reassessment of life in London and what you want out of uh, yeah. know, raising a family and you're thinking fresh air and maybe seaside might be better than <laughs> whatever we've got going on here. So Tractors, loads, loads of tractors apparently. Tractors. To, yeah, tractors. So Brilliant. that's the way But no, you're, you're completely right. I think a lot of people have had those um, kind of maybe passions that were going to happen in five or ten years and, and kind of reassess them and acted on them and you know you make the best of what you can what you can do really so i think we're we're pretty excited as a family to make the changes and we'll see what see what happens really yeah well thank all you, the yeah. best to you and laura we'll have to find you a good chiropractor up in suffolk right i know uh, there won't, won't be one as good as you guys you know <laughs> well make sure you know sure. obviously you're always welcome down at putney in fact i did see hoppers in the clinic the other day uh he's still doing well still on the chiro table regularly good. um oh, well, I did, maybe actually, I did, I didn't know that about, you know, where he uh, obviously part of the PRA is to sort of try and, you know, skill yeah. some of the rugby players who are, you know, maybe sort of winding down their careers or even just during their yeah, careers, they, right? So. Oh, they, they, they do such incredible work. And Damien, I mean, it has helped so many, so many people both pre, during and post their career. The funny thing is with Damien is that, so he obviously um, paid for, well, not, he didn't pay for me, but the PRA helped and subsidized my um, personal training qualification. Then when I was teaching the Pilates, he used to be a punter. So he'd yeah. be shaking, you know, shaking on the reformer. And I just said, look, mate, that's all you're doing, you know. <laughs> <It's> all, <laughs> but that's it. I, mean, I, I got to get him on this thing as well and ask him those sort of similar questions as I asked you because he is still on this journey, I think, from when he was the broken rugby player to now trying yeah. to still rehabilitate his body is down at, uh, I think it's the Evolve gym and yeah. still does Pilates and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. uh, still on the Cairo table. And I think he's, you know, he's getting closer to the broken mess that he was after rugby, but uh, as it sounds like you are, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, mate, good. Good, uh, good chat Thanks, to you. Greg. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll speak Cheers, soon. Bye-bye. See you later.